All right. Praise God and good morning. Um, it's a beautiful day out despite the clouds and a little bit of the rain, but, you know, this rain is what makes uh, this state such a beautiful state to be uh, for those of us that are here in Oregon. So uh, we appreciate it because we don't get a lot of the fires that you see in southern uh, northern California, southern Oregon, at least in this particular part of Oregon where we are today. Um, so praise God for the rain because there's a purpose for everything. Um, hope you guys have your uh, spirit to work out clothes on because today we're going to work we're going to do some uh, some training if you will um today we're going to look at some some things in getting ready for um what i feel in my spirit might be you know coming down the pike as i've you know been praying and seeking god about what's what's happening around the world and what's happening in this nation and even things that i see uh happening in the workplace and in my personal life as well you know just kind of praying and seeing all right lord where where are we going you know in, in these times to come um, we're living in a world where evil seems to be the right thing to do. Can't watch TV without wondering whether or not certain language is going to be used. You can't watch TV without wondering whether or not I should tell the kids to leave the room because you don't know what's getting ready to come on the TV. Movie ratings, they're not the same anymore. Um, the PG-13, rated R, uh, G-rated, whatever those are, those aren't the same anymore. The things that used to be considered rated R, are now considered PG-13. Kids in schools, they're being exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. Um, It's offensive for children to talk about God with their classmates. They can't bring Bibles to school. They can't pray in school. They can't do anything uh, that has has anything to do with, with Jesus Christ. Prayer, which has always been a part of sports since I was a little kid, is now considered to be offensive. To the extent where you have coaches that are being threatened to lose their jobs just because they decide to pray with their players. We as Christians are considered hateful when we don't agree with certain lifestyles, but we are expected to fall in line with things that go against the word of God. There are people out there who are committed to stamping God out of everything. There are folks in high power positions that are also committed to push the devil's agenda because they're not committed to God's agenda, despite the fact that they call themselves Christians. They are committed, however, to please man and to not God and not God. And because of this, they choose not to take God's stand for God, but to choose to take a stand for the people. They are committed once again, however, to please man and not to please God. So the question for you today is pretty simple, and that is, how committed are you? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we start talking about today, doing a deep dive into what is commitment all about as it relates to following God. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 1. I'll wait for everybody to get there. Okay. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Underline perilous times will come. And I want you to double underline the word will. Because it's not saying perilous times may come. It says perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. We see this now. If you just turn on the news, you can see this all over the place. Anybody that ever steps foot outside their house, uh, going to the job, going to the supermarkets, running an an errand, wherever it is that you're going, you see people like this all over the place. It's amazing just to even overhear some conversations when people are talking about what God, who God is or who they think God is and what they think it means to actually be a Christian. How they say, well, sorry, I don't agree with that um, because how could God be such a loving God and you can serve this loving God, but yet and still you're talking about that if I'm not saved that I could end up in hell. What kind of loving God is that? That sounds like a hateful God. What kind of God is a loving God that says that I can't live a certain lifestyle even though This is what brings me joy and this is what brings me pleasure. What kind of loving God is that? 
When you go out to the stores, you see disobedience to parents. How many children are just running around and the parent is nowhere to be found? There's many times my wife and I have gone to the malls and we'll see a little, you know, two-year-old or three-year-old running around. And we stop and we, we pause for a second and we just kind of scan around and you think, where's the parent? And you see the parent way off in the distance taking their time. And it makes you wonder if somebody would have run by and grabbed this child and scoop them up, would the parent even know that they're missing? What would the parent do? You know, there was a situation I know my wife was telling me about where a parent actually ran out of the store looking for their child and the child ran across the parking lot with nobody, with nobody around. It takes commitment to raise a child in a Christian home. The beautiful thing about, I know in my life when I look back being raised in a Christian home, that it's not hard to, 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 to study the Word of God. It's not hard to think of having to go to Bible study after, um, after a long day, a long day at work. It's not hard to think about waking up in the morning and think Sunday is not going to be a time that I'm going to sleep in and put my feet up and do nothing all day and recuperate, if you will, and get ready for Monday. It's a time to get up, get ready, and go to church because God's got something that He wants to tell me. It's not hard to also get the children ready. You know, it's some challenges, obviously, getting kids ready and everything like that, but just the thought of saying, I've got to get the kids ready, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to get out the door so we can get to church, it's not, it's not hard to do growing up in a, in a Christian home. Children need that kind of structure in their life because without that lack of structure, a child is just going to run around and they're going to do whatever it is that they, that they please. They, are not, they don't have the mind yet to be able to really understand what's right from wrong, so it's a learning that they go through life learning and they have to be raised by the parents. They have to be structured in a way to understand that at nighttime, it's not simply just a time to go to sleep, but you get on your knees and you pray. Amen. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you should be thinking about is, all right, Lord, how are you going to help me today? Um, I remember with the, the other night when we were praying before we went to bed, you know, I asked my daughter, I said, so what is it that you want Jesus to help you with? And she said, to help me do good in school, and I want the kids to behave in school. And as we sat there and we prayed, she actually even prayed for her, her classmates, that they would behave. And she called a couple of them by name um, that are known to get in trouble in, in school. But she said to help that they would listen. Some of them were sick, and she knew about that. And she said, pray that so-and-so feels better and that they're no longer sick. And as I sat there and I was listening to that, I just said, praise God that she's, that the things that she's hearing when she's coming to church she's putting them into practice and then I'm praying for God to give Candace and I the strength to continue to raise the children that way so that they know that they can go to God for anything and it's not this just something that's silly um, that, that us crazy people us crazy Christians do but it's something that God is wanting us is wanting us to do okay so the kids need children need that kind of kind of structure um, so that they're not disobedient to parents and when you start them off at a young age it just becomes second nature as they get older. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be times and there's going to not going to be challenges to when the child starts to get older that they're not going to be, you know, disobedient and do, you know, and, and do some things. But when you plant that seed as a child, when they're a child and you start putting that structure into place, what ends up happening is they know in the back of their minds what they're doing is wrong versus it seems like to me this is the right thing to do. I've heard people say, um, you've heard scientists say this when you talk about certain lifestyles and they say, well, you can be born with, as, as a homosexual. No, that's not the case. Children learn that. Children aren't born racist either. They learn that in the, in the home. They learn that kind of behavior from their parents. Children that go out there and use foul language, and it's amazing to me how I can see, um, even in certain TV shows or certain movies, how young these children are and the language that they're actually using. They're not born with that. They learn that in the home. Okay? They learn how to, how to behave based off of what they get exposed to by their parents okay so in these kind of times that we're in right now we have to recognize especially for those of us that are parents that in order to raise your child the way that God wants you to raise them it takes commitment to be able to raise them in a godly manner it takes commitment to put that structure into place no matter how difficult it might seem picking up here in verse uh, in verse 4 traders headstrong haughty Lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Underline all of verse number five there. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 
these are the people that will have the uh, they don't even have to have a large collection of study Bibles and concordances and all of those things but these are the people that go out and they say I am a Christian okay They'll check that box if they take a survey about what, what, um, what religion you are. They'll show up to church every single day or every single Sunday. They get involved in the ministry anytime they can. They feed the poor. They volunteer at these, uh, at homeless shelters and all of that. They say that they're Christians, but they actually do not believe what God can do. They don't actually believe in God. If you're asked, well, what kind of religion you are, they say, I'm a Christian because that seems to be the popular thing to do. If you looked at the, if, if you look around the world and if you look in this nation, you see how many people actually declare themselves as Christians. It's a high number. How many of them actually practice what it means to be a Christian? If you were to survey that, that's probably going to be a much, much, much lower number because the end thing to do is to say you're a Christian. When push comes to shove, how do these people respond when it comes down to either standing for God or standing for man? Typically what they will do is they will stand for man, but then go around and call themselves a Christian. They will try to quote scriptures from the Bible and say, the reason why I want to do this for this particular group is because God is love. And the Bible says this, 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 and this about love. And they miss all the other stuff about what God says. Well, this is an abomination. This is what sin is. They don't want to do They don't want to focus on anything like that because they know that if they do, man will rise up, be upset with them, and they could lose their job. Okay. These are the type of people that have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And the Bible here says, uh, turn away from these people, turn away. If you surround yourself with people that act this way and call themselves Christians, but don't actually live the lifestyle of a Christian, you run the risk of also turning into that. I don't care how strong you are or how... How independent you might be, if you don't surround yourself with the right people, you will start to pick up on their behaviors. Okay? If you look at, 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 at um, uh, low-income housing, if you will, if you look at the inner city and you look at the people that are really living in, in, in poverty, they can get out of that. But the reason why they don't is because the people that they are surrounded with are just like them. Instead of surrounding themselves around people that are successful, instead of actually going to talk to a business owner and say, how did you get from where you are to now? They don't want to do that because they are fearful of what is everybody else in my neighborhood going to think of me? This is all I know. This is where I'm going to stay. I don't want to go ahead and get out of this particular neighborhood. I don't want to go to that top 1% neighborhood if you will, and live there, because where I came from, people are going to judge me and say, you forgot where you came from, you're supposed to be just like us, but now that you're not here anymore, you are not like us, you're just like everybody else, you're just like them, therefore we're no longer friends, okay? So it's important that you do not surround yourself around people that, that are calling themselves Christians, but are not acting as Christians. The Bible also says, by your fruit you shall know them. You can never ever truly know whether or not somebody is a Christian because you don't know the person's heart. God knows their heart, but how things are manifesting in their life, how they deal with challenges, how, how much success they have, regardless of how you define that, will tell you whether or not they're actually a Christian or give you a glimpse into whether or not there's a Christian. They, they are a Christian. Holy Spirit will also reveal things to you as he chooses, uh, as he sees fit to give you insights into to the person's life to let you know, okay, I need to pray for them a little bit more or maybe God is pulling you away from that and saying, pray for them, but I need you to get away from that because what I'm starting to see that you're not seeing is you're starting to become like them. You might be in this world, but you are not of this world. Do not surround yourself with people that are of this world. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have friends that are, are non-believers, that are, aren't Christians or, 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 or aren't saved. You will have those people in your life. You can't to completely get rid of them. But you have to be strong enough and well-grounded in, in, in the Word of God and have that relationship with God to be able to see when you might start adopting behaviors that they're adopting. Being able to be a light for them so that they can see the Christ in you shine so that hopefully... They can see that being a Christian really isn't that bad. And it's better off for you to follow Christ than not to follow Christ. But once again, it takes commitment to studying God's word to be able to to separate the difference between living in the world and living like the world. Okay? Verse 5 again. 
having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into household, households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Underline that. Always learning and never, uh, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay. I like science to some extent. Um, you know, when you start getting into uh, to, to realms of, uh, you know, like biology and you're talking about Punnett squares and all of those things, I think that I didn't like when I was in when I was taking science classes. That's where you, you lose me in science. But looking at things about how the universe is structured and looking at all the different photos uh, that NASA has of the, of the universe. Uh, every now and then I'll put on the NASA TV channel at home and just kind of watch as they've got the International Space Station that's flying over the Earth and you can see the, the various views of the earth and just how beautiful the earth is. I love that kind of stuff. But scientists miss a lot because they are seeking the truth in the wrong places. Okay? They're seeking the truth in, in theories of relativity. They're seeking the truth in various uh, formulas and other theories. And, and I, this is not for all scientists because there are some Christian scientists out there, but they're not seeking the truth in the word of God. So they keep thinking that they're coming closer and closer and closer. But the reason they don't understand it is because they don't actually go to the source of who put all of this into existence. And that's God. They don't understand it. They're going into textbooks. They're talking to each other. They're looking at math. They're looking at the things that seem to make sense to our, our finite minds. And they're not getting into the infinite mind, if you will, of God the Father. Amen. Two things happened in the creation of everything that came into existence. For six days, two things happened. God said, and then it happened. Amen. That was it. When God said, let there be light, the light came. There's no arguing there. But the reason that scientists have such a hard time is because they say, well, there could have been this. There probably was this explosion. And the universe formed and the earth formed and something happened to where there were monkeys and then monkeys evolved into man. And they get into this discussion and they're having this debate over it. And if there was really the truth, there would be no debate. We've all heard of that thing that's called a mic drop moment. You know, that's when you say something so profound, there's nothing else to say. So you drop the mic and walk away. When God said and it happens, that's a mic drop moment. There's nothing else to talk about. There is no debating it. And so if science, people that follow science that are looking for the truth, if they go to the word of God and you want to know, well, how is everything created? Start in the book of Genesis. It'll tell you right there. It's not that it's not that difficult. It's pretty simple. It's flat out, straightforward, no arguments there. Okay? But again, it would take commitment by these scientists to actually look at the word of God and to change their thinking and open up their spiritual mind to understand the things that don't seem so obvious. So to understand the things that, that, that we can't grasp our head around. Two plus two will always equal four. But if God says two plus two equals a million, guess what? Two plus two equals a million. Because in his realm, he can make it equal a million. Amen. Jesus feeding 5,000 people with some bread and, and, and some fish that by all standards of mathematics should not happen. He did it. Scientists will argue that. Well, that's not possible. You can't feed 5,000 people with that little bit of food. Jesus did it. Nah, he didn't. The word of God said he did. So if a textbook tells you 2 plus 2 equals 4, and this textbook being the Bible, which is absolute truth, said Jesus fed 5,000 people with some bread and some fish, why are you arguing with that? But again, it takes commitment to be able to study the word of God and to know that. Verse 8. Now Janus and Jambres resisted Moses... So do these uh, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Underline that for their folly will be made manifest to all. Okay. Verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, Love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. 
And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Double underline that. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Jesus said, you will have trials and tribulations. So when something comes your way, why are we surprised by that? When a challenge comes into your life, when a trial or tribulation comes into your life, when somebody comes against you, when it seems like the thing that you're wanting so much is not coming to pass, why does it surprise you? It shouldn't. Jesus said you will have trials and tribulations. Jesus said the world would hate you for my namesake. So if they hated Jesus, why do you think that they won't hate you? If they came against Jesus, who's the son of God, all-powerful, king of kings, lord of lords, what makes you think that the devil's not going to come after you? And it's important to understand something here um, when it comes down to, to understanding how the, how the enemy operates, okay? I'm going to paint a picture for you because... It's important as Christians that we really, 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 really get deep down in our spirit, understanding who we're dealing with when we're talking about the enemy. Okay, the Bible said he walks around like a roaring lion, not that he is a roaring lion. He walks around like a roaring lion, which means he is an imposter. He's not as strong as he thinks he is. He's not as strong as many Christians believe he is. Now, I'm not saying that you go on, put some boxing gloves on, and put some Vaseline on your face and try to call the devil out and think you're going to get into a physical mess. Don't do that. Don't even go there. Don't even think like that, okay? I'm not saying that at all. But you've got to understand something about how he got to where he is now. When he was Lucifer and in heaven, what did he do? He said he was going to ascend to the throne of God. He got into a battle in Revelation, the, the, it says in there, that the devil and his angels fought against Michael and his angels, and they prevailed not. Nor was there, was there any room found for them in heaven. So Lucifer, as an angel at the time, fought against another angel in heaven and lost. He didn't even fight God. He lost to another angel and was cast out of heaven and cast to this earth. So understand that for a second there. He didn't even fight God. He fought another angel and lost. Okay? So, can he get to God? No way. He's not powerful enough for God. So what does he go after? He goes after us. Why? Because we represent everything that he hates. We represent God. And every time we see him, if we're living our lives in a godly manner, the way that we should be, every time he sees you, it stirs up that anger in him. Because what he's seeing is a representation of the, of the, of the one that he hates the most being God. Now, take it a little bit deeper, okay? When God blesses us, and any, or any time we have a, a challenge in our life, it's always something that impacts one of our five senses, typically, right? So when we pray for things, we pray for, you know, promotion at work. That's something that then leads to more money. That's something that then leads to our ability to purchase more things. The things that we can see, taste, feel, touch, hear, those are the things, those are the, those are the ways that God blesses us because that's all we know in this physical realm, right? None of us, I don't believe, have seen heaven or maybe God has not given us a vision of what heaven looks like. So you can read in the word of God the descriptions of heaven. You can read all the books out there of people saying that they've had visions of heaven or, you know, they, they've died and gone to heaven and all of those things to get an understanding of what heaven may look like. But you can't really truly wrap your head around what does heaven actually look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like, if you will? What does it feel to to be in heaven? And and how does it impact your five senses? So knowing that, God in his infinite wisdom knows, to get around in this physical world, you will have to have material things. And those are the ways that I can bless you. Okay? Now, the devil knows that. So what he does is he will then go attack those things that God has given you. And if you think about any kind of thief, if they go into somebody's house or they try to steal your car, um, or if you're in school and they try to steal something out of your locker, what they do is they go after those things because those things cannot fight back. Those things are weak. 
The reason why the devil will go after your stuff is because your physical stuff can't fight back, but you can. So if you think about it from that perspective there, what you see is that the devil is a lot weaker than we actually believe he is. We like to think that he's really, really strong and really powerful, and the reality of it is not. Because he's going after things that can't fight back. When I was in school, we had a name for these kind of people. We called them punks. Or we called them bullies. Because what they would do is they would target the people that are the weakest of the group. But as soon as that person stood up to them, that bully was no longer the bully. That bully then all of a sudden became the laughing stock of the school. Okay? So you've got to recognize about the enemy that he's just nothing but a bully. He talks a big game, and if you watch how he attacks you, he never hits you head on. He'll hit you from the side, he'll hit you from the back, and you turn around, what was that? And then all of a sudden he's over here, what's that? And he has you kind of doing this thing, he'll never come at you full force because he knows that if you recognize him, and you know scripture, you will quote scripture to him, and to that he can't combat. He can't come back after that, amen? So he's just going to come at you on the sideways. The other reason the Bible talks about him walking around as a roaring lion is because if you ever watched a lion, they don't run. There's only one time that they run, and that's when they're actually ready to attack. And if you watch them just kind of looking at antelope, let's say, and they're looking at a herd of antelope, they'll just kind of sit there, and they'll look around, and they'll look around, and they'll sit there and they'll watch them and the antelope will go about their business. The antelope might know that the lion is there as it slowly starts to inch a little bit closer. And then they'll kind of go on guard. But the lion still just sits there and they're watching. And what they're looking for is they're looking for a target. And that target is the weakest in the pack. That's what they're looking for. So as he starts to get a little bit closer and he's in clear shot to where, yep, I'm going to get my prey. And when they start to scatter, that's when the lion takes off and he goes after that weak one. That's exactly the way the enemy operates. As, he looking at, as he's looking at all of us as believers, he's trying to find that one that's, that's either the weakest or the one that's the most vulnerable. And as Christians, it doesn't matter how much you walk with God or how long you've been walking with God, we all have vulnerable moments. And in those moments is when he decides to attack. So when you wake up in the morning, one of the things you should be praying is for, Lord, help me to open my eyes to the attack of the enemy. Help to keep me safe. Because if you're not watching to see where the enemy is going to come from, that's why you get surprised when he actually hits you. You can pray all day long and say, God, please keep me safe, please keep me safe. But if you don't actually go back and talk and listen to him and bring him through your day, how is he going to be able to tell you or how are you going to be able to hear that when you walk around that corner, there's an ambush coming? Okay. Our men and women in the military, they know who their enemy is when they're fighting. Every single day when they walk out on patrol, they're constantly scanning and they're looking around for an attack. Imagine what that would be like if they just woke up and said, Yep, I'm with the United States military, the most powerful military in all the world, and I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to walk out and I'm just going to have my chest held up high and I'm not going to look for anything. I just know i got to get to that building, and that's the building I'm going to go to. Imagine how much uh, attack they would come under. If I call somebody up and, and, and if I call my parents or somebody and say, hey, I need help with this situation. Can you help me? How good would it do if I say, okay, here's the situation. And can you help me? Can you give me some advice? Blah, 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 blah. Thanks. Have a good day. And I hang up the phone. Does me no good. I simply asked for something and I wasn't willing to listen. So when you wake up in the morning, you have to expect that the enemy is going to try to hit you. So you've got to go to God. Pray and ask him to keep you safe, but then help him, ask him to help you keep your eyes open for the attack of the enemy. Ask for a spirit of discernment so you can see what's going on around you um, and see the things that are hidden that are happening that aren't always so blatant and open. Okay, But again, it takes commitment. It takes commitment to know God's word. And it takes commitment to really understand, no matter how, led the, how loud the devil may growl and how loud the devil may bark, it takes commitment to understanding that through God, all things are possible. Through Jesus Christ, you can do all things. It takes commitment to know that the devil is nothing but a bully. And then if you hit him in the mouth with the word of God, he will run. And he will run very quickly. But again, it takes commitment. Verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, 
and that from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus okay again growing up in a christian home it makes it it makes it easier if you will to understand what's happening around me from a spiritual world, from in the spiritual world okay when you're raising kids, it's important, again, to raise them up in a spiritual, uh, in a spiritual way, in a way that God wants you to, to raise them, because they will be attacked at times. I remember growing up, um, and this is the, the perfect time to talk about this story with Halloween coming up on Tuesday. I remember many times as a child going to my teacher, first grade, second grade, kindergarten, and letting them know, as they start getting into Halloween, telling them, I don't celebrate Halloween and I can't participate in these activities. And what the teachers would actually do is they would say, okay, Mrs. So-and-so in her class on the day we're doing our Halloween party is not doing anything. I'll send you over there until they're done. Amen. And I would go into that classroom for 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, and then they would come and get me out of that classroom when they're done with their festivities. Amen. Cupcakes, candy, um, whatever it was, the teachers knew not to involve you in that. Amen. And the only reason that I was able to do that was because in my household, the way we were raised, the way our parents raised us was that this is not of God. We do not get involved in that. And being able to tell us, you stand up for what you believe in, respect authority, and you can let those teachers know that you will will not be able to participate in that. And if there's any issues, let us know and we'll go ahead and we'll talk to the teachers. And a few times the teachers pushed back, yes, parents were there to be able to say, Hey, that's right. We gave them permission not to do that, and this is why. And the teacher said, oh, okay, no problem. Okay. But again, it was because being raised in a Christian household, going to church every Sunday. Um, I remember those drives going from Long Island out to Queens to, to, the, um, uh, to the church twice, uh, twice Sundays at, at times. And I remember clearly as day driving down the uh, Southern State Parkway right around exit 17 or so. There was this dip in the road that always made my stomach drop. You know, and I, and I to this day I remember sitting in the in the third row of that minivan that we had as we hit that dip. It would just make that dip into my stomach, just like I, I could see that route every single time. I remember what the church looked like. I remember what the classrooms looked like. I remember all of that stuff. But that was because we were raised that way since we were little. And so, if you have children, it's important that you you bring that structure into their life, get them used to it, because when things start to pop up, you're not always going to be around there to defend them at some point children have to spread their wings if you will and they have to go on and and, and live their life and they have to grow up and they have to learn so when they're in this learning mode right now to where they're going to soak everything in what are you feeding their minds are you feeding their minds things of God or are you feeding minds their minds of things of the world okay it is not the role of teachers or babysitters or anybody else to raise your kids it's your job as parents to do that so if you're bringing God into that as you're raising the child the child will grow up with that seed planted so that they will always know that regardless of, of, of who's around them or who their friends might be or whatever it is that they're involved in they will know What's right from wrong from a godly perspective. Okay? And if you and if you and if you don't have, have kids, how are you running your household as in your actual house? But then also how are you running your household as into those you let into your inner circle? You may not have kids, but you have an inner circle that's around you. You have um You have an area of authority about who you let in your life and how closely you let them in your life. So are you going to structure that inner circle to be focused with with people that, 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 that are going to learn the word of God, that know the word of God, that are going to give you advice based off of what the, what the Bible talks about? Or are you going to surround yourself with people that all they want to do Thursday, Friday, Saturday is party, rest up on Sunday so that they can go to work on Monday without a hangover? Okay? Who are you going to surround yourself in your quote-unquote spiritual household? Okay. Verse 16. I'm going to read verse 15 again. Uh, Actually, let's go back up to 14 again. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which you are able to make wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
all scripture, underline all scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you don't have all of 16 underlined, highlighted, bracketed, whatever it is, do all of that. Because this is saying that everything that you read in the Bible, while man put pen to paper, while man did the various translations in the languages from Hebrew to English and all of that, while man may have done that, this was written because of inspiration that these men had based off of what God told them. Based off of the visions that, they, that, that they've had. So if you really want to know, how do I live my life? How do I know the truth? What is truth? It's in the word of God. How do I deal with situations that come my way? You have to read the word of God, okay? Again, it takes commitment to studying the word and knowing what's in it. You don't have to know exactly where to find scripture, You have to know the page number or the book number or the chapter and the verse. But you have to know the content. Because when the enemy rears his ugly head, you're not going to always have time to go pull out your Bible and find the scripture. You're not always going to have the time to get on the phone and call that that, that holy person, uh, the, the person that lives a godly lifestyle, whether it's a pastor or a family member or another member of the church. You're not always going to have that time. So you have to know what's in, what's in the scripture, okay? When people come to you and they say that man was, has evolved from monkeys, if you don't know what Genesis says about the creation, how can you combat that? Earlier, the Bible's talked about that there's going to be more people uh, that are going to come out and, and deceiving and being deceived. How are you going to know whether or not you're being deceived if you don't know the word of God, if you're not studying it? Everything in here was inspired by God, not just some, everything. All 66 books, however many pages, you know, depending on how big your Bible is and how small the print is, all of that was inspired by God. So if you don't know that, then you won't be able to combat the enemy when he comes against you. You won't be able to understand that the enemy is not as strong as he thinks he is. You won't be able to understand how to raise your children in a Christian household. And you won't understand how to live your life as a godly Christian. And as a true Christian, someone that not just follows uh, the word of God or, or, or is just a hero of the word of God, but someone that is also a doer of the word of God. It takes commitment. It takes commitment to understand that the things in the word of God will challenge what you think you know. Amen. You have to open your spiritual mind for, for, for God to be able to come in there and say, you thought you knew this? But here's some more I'm going to show you. And if you're one of those ones that say, oh, I read, read the Bible, you know, six times a year, cover to cover. I can tell you exactly what page in every single translation that this is, that, you know, this particular content is. If you give me a topic, I can tell you every single scripture that goes along with that, co- that, that topic. You can't tell me anymore. If that's the kind of mentality that you have, then there's no way that you're going to allow God to correct you. None whatsoever. All you're going to do is build up your pride the same way Lucifer built up his pride and got himself kicked out of heaven. Okay? Again, it takes commitment. So why is it that it's so hard for us to be committed to following God? Why is it that people are so committed to coming against God? Take, let's take a look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 9. Why are you truly committed to following God? John chapter 3, verse 9. So this is when, this is after Jesus was telling them what it means to be uh, born again. So John chapter 3, verse 9. Nicodemus asked and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, 
Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So if you don't believe that God actually exists, then how could you believe the early example of Jesus feeding 5,000 with some fish and some bread? How can you believe that the earth was not created because of a massive explosion and chaos and it just happened to land the way it landed? Okay. How could you believe that that's not true? How could you, how could you believe, not believe that God created everything? Okay. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Underline that, verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 16, a very familiar one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Begotten Son. The reason why people have a hard time with committing to, be, to becoming a Christian or, they, or they're committed to, to, to go against everything that's in the Word of God or go against the name of Jesus is because they can't understand that salvation, eternal life, has only one path, and that's through Jesus Christ. They can believe that Albert Einstein knows that it can, can come up with a theory of relativity. They can believe that. They never met Albert Einstein, but they read about him in a textbook. Teachers taught that to them in class, so they're willing to believe that. But they can't believe that Jesus Christ actually died and rose from the dead and has the keys to the kingdom. Although it's in the most accurate book ever created, the Bible, God's Word, it's in there, but they don't believe it, and they don't want to believe it. How is it that this man, Jesus, that I've never seen before, that I've never heard of, that I've never talked to, how is it that you're telling me that he's the only way that I can get to heaven? I'm a good person. I give to the needy. I give half of my paycheck to every single uh, charity that's out there. I donate all my free time after work on the weekends over to, you know, the, this, um, you know, some of these, uh, charitable groups. I go to the, to the soup kitchens and I feed, feed parents and everything like that, or I feed people that are there. I do all of those things, so how are you gonna tell me that I'm still not gonna make it to heaven because I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about? Okay? That's why they come against the Word of God. Because it requires them to change the way they think. It requires them to change the way they do things. It requires them to talk differently. It, it requires them to choose who their friends are going to be and choose who they, who, they, uh, who they have in their life. It goes against everything that they think they know. Turn to John 14 in closing here. John chapter 14. Because there's some more to this as to why people come against Christianity and come against the name of Jesus so much. And it's important that we know this because if we are committed to being Christians and if we are committed to following God, then we have to know why others aren't so that we know that when they come against us, it's not a surprise. The things that drive us crazy the most as people is what? Is the things that you don't understand. When things come your way and you don't understand what's causing it or why it's happening, that's what drives us crazy. That's why at times you get people 
and even Christians, um, that's why you get them when they, when, they, when they go through something and they've been going through it for such a long time and it seems like it's a terrible experience, that's why they get mad at God at times because God hasn't told them why I'm allowing you to go through this. Okay? Earlier it said about the word of God um, being, being um, inspired by, being inspired by God so that the man of God could be fully equipped for every, for every good work. There's a reason why you're going through that and God is not always going to tell you. But if you understand that what he's trying to do is to equip you for something else that's coming, that should bring you some peace. And you may never know why you had to specifically go through this and why going through this could get you, got you here to where he needs you to be when there's a million other paths that can get you there. But there's one, there's a specific reason why God said, yes, I know there's a million ways to get you here, but I needed you to go through here because I've got a bigger plan for something else that you have no idea about. That might not even impact you, but it might impact somebody else. That could then circle around and come back to you, okay? So it's, it's amazing if you just take it, step away from it and stop trying to figure God out and just understand you're going through something for a reason. It's going to make you better off in the end. And if you, just put your, if you just put that into your mind, you shouldn't be surprised or thrown off or upset when things happen and you don't understand why they're happening, okay? John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. You cannot believe in God without believing in Jesus. So anybody out there that says, yes, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, really has no idea what they're talking about. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one. You cannot believe in one without the other. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. It's interesting that Jesus being a son of a carpenter, would make reference to preparing a house for you in heaven. Okay? If Jesus is actually, as, as the word says, preparing a house for you, preparing a mansion, that means when it's completed, he's going to give you the keys so you can actually move into this mansion. Okay? So he hasn't left. He may have left physically, but he's still with you if you invite him into your life. When you're going through things in your life, And if you're committed to seeing it through to the end and bringing Jesus with you, then you know that he has not left your side. He's up in heaven because he is waiting for that that mansion to be finished. He's working on that. He's waiting to get the permission from God to say, okay, go ahead and call my son or daughter home so he can come and say, here goes your keys, time to move in. Okay? He will be back. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. So people that say, I can't become a Christian, or I don't believe in God, or I believe in some God, but I don't believe in Jesus, I believe in some sort of, some sort of higher power, And then they come against you because you talk about Jesus. You live your life as the best you can as a Christian. Christmas time comes around and you actually spend time before you open any gifts and you actually tell Jesus happy birthday. And you tell your kids to tell Jesus happy birthday. And you thank God for giving you the gifts that you have and being able to give to others as well. And people look at that and say, well, I can't do that. I mean, how do you expect me to do that? It's because they don't understand that Jesus being the way and the truth and the life means that the way that you're living your life is not the way, is not the best way to live it. Amen. Being the way means that you have something going on in your life and you say, this is the path that I'm choosing. This is the direction I'm going. Jesus is saying, nah, that's not the best way to do it. So why don't I fully commit myself to being a Christian? It's because I like to think that my way is the best way. It's my way or the highway. Jesus can't tell me what to do. How are you going to tell me that this man that I have never met, that you say exists, 
that I've heard about, but I've never seen him, never talked to him. How can you tell me that his way is the best way? Okay? Being the truth. You want to know the truth, go to the Word of God. Okay? So you're telling me that what I thought I knew all my life is not truthful? Could be. The only way to know is to go to Jesus. Well, my parents told me this. My mom said this. My dad said that. My great auntie, who has an IQ off the charts, had told me this. The news media told me this. This politician said this. That my boss said this. You're telling me that out of all of those people that told me these things, that that might not be truthful? You're telling me that to figure out out of all of these people that I trust, out of all this information that I'm getting, that the only way to know the actual truth is to go through Jesus? Yep. That's exactly what it's saying. So people turn away from that because they want to think that they know everything. Okay? Being the life. You're telling me that the only way to have eternal life is to accept Jesus Christ? Yeah. But I believe in God. I tithe. I pray. I do all sorts of good things. You're telling me that I still can't have eternal life because I haven't accepted Jesus? That's exactly what the Word of God is saying. Okay? That's why people come against the name of Jesus. For that reason, for those three, if you just took everything out and just focused on that one scripture, that tells you a lot about why people just have a, such a problem anytime you use the name of Jesus. Why is Jesus always coming, is, is being, uh, uh, his name being persecuted? Why is everybody saying that, oh, I don't mind you saying a prayer, just don't end it in the name of Jesus. I don't mind you celebrating Christmas, but don't you dare put up a nativity scene with baby Jesus in it. Why? Because that baby turned out to is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? You won't have eternal life without accepting Jesus Christ. So you have to be able to open your spiritual mind to understanding that what you think you know is not necessarily the truth. The only way to find out is to go, through, go to Jesus. You have to know that the way that you're taking, the path that you're taking in life, may not be the path that you should be taking. The only way to know that is through Jesus Christ. And you have to understand that if you want to have eternal life, the only way to get through that is through Jesus Christ. But once again, it takes commitment. So in closing, I'm going to repeat part of what I said earlier. There are people out there who are committed to stamping out God from everything. There are folks in high-powered positions that are committed to pushing the enemy's agenda because they are not truly committed to God's agenda. And they want to put man first... Instead of putting God first. So the question for you once again is, how committed are you? How committed are you? I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And now let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.